Well, James chapter 3. We've been working through the book of James now for a few months. And I told you as we, we approached this letter in James that what we were going to do is we were going to see and, and, and learn from James, this leader from the early church in Jerusalem. We we're going to learn a lot of practical things. Some books of the Bible are full of history. Some of them are full of poetry. Some of them are full of theology. James is full of a lot of practical action things. Uh, over the, the past several weeks, we've learned a lot of those kinds of practical faith things. And what I've told you from the very beginning is what James is calling us to and what he was calling those people to was calling them to become people that, that where faith truly shaped the way that they lived life. Not just once a week at church, not just once a month, not just here and there throughout their lives, but people that every single day that they lived, they were shaped by their faith. That it was constantly in front of them and the way that they, it infiltrated everything, everything that, that they were and, and that they were to do. And we're the same way. We want to be people of faith wherever life takes us, on the baseball field, in the office at work, at the grocery store, at the park, at the family gathering. It doesn't matter wherever you are, whenever, always everywhere, people of faith. And over the last several weeks, as we've gone through these first three chapters of James, he's given us a lot of simple straight ahead practical advice, practical things that he says, hey, this is what you need to do. Um, the, the last message in James, we, we looked at how we use our mouth. The title was minding our mouths, right? How we speak, how we talk to other people. We looked at anger and how we're to, to function and how that's supposed to go. We talked about the sin of favoritism, all these practical things. And what we've been learning through James is that we're supposed to be people of action, not only words, right? And we made a very important distinction about which comes first, which is one of the main themes of the letter of James. Faith leads to action. It's not the other way around. It's not that your actions will somehow bring you to faith. What he says is that gets backwards and that's just legalism and religion. What he says is, no, no, no. What happens is we come to faith in Jesus. We have a relationship with him. And out of that faith, these works grow. All right. And that's the, the difference between the two. Faith leads to action. And although it's important to learn these actions, like we've been talking about, managing your anger, knowing how to treat other people, that's important. It's right and good for Christians but James's point is, hey, they're useless if they're motivated by anything other than faith. They're useless if you're just kind of, you know, watching what you say when other people are looking so that people think you're holy or spiritual or something. He says, no, that's not genuine. It's not real. It's not deep. It's not who we are to be. And that, but the, but the Bible has told us as we've looked through this that we're not saved by those works but those who are saved work. So here's where we come up to today though. The question is, do you ever get stuck, even as we study some of these right things to do as Christians, these practical things, do you ever get stuck not knowing what the right thing to do is? 
Does that ever happen to you? You know, you're, you're a person of faith. You recognize that. And you know that you want to please the Lord with your actions. You might have heard some of these messages. And you're like, yeah, I really need to deal with my anger. Or I really need to stop talking to people that way. I need to be a person of love. I need to, whatever. You, you, you hear it at church. You're like, yeah, okay, but what about in this situation? What about in that situation? How am I supposed to do these different things? You know that you want to please the Lord with your actions, but you're not sure what those actions are supposed to be. Because what we find is that in life, we can be very busy for God. We can say we're, we're doing these things for God. We're doing these things because of our faith. We're doing, you know, we're, we're living this way for some purpose, but we can still be incredibly off track. And so today, what James is going to do, instead of just giving us the, the list, and don't worry, he's going to come back to the lists. For those of you who like lists, you're like, okay, check that one off, this one off. Instead of that, he's going to pause right here in this section of the end of chapter three, he's going to pause and say, instead of those external things that we've been focusing on for these weeks, he's going to say, but what about the internal motivations? The things that that make you, the, the root sources that lead to your actions. And he does this by questioning our wisdom. Okay? Our wisdom. Now, to give you just a dictionary definition of wisdom... It'll be on the screen here for you. Wisdom is knowledge of what is true or right and the judgment that we use to shape our actions. Okay, you got to get this part. Think about this. It's the knowledge of what's true or right and the judgment that we use to shape our actions. Okay, it is where knowledge and judgment and our actions connect. It's where you put all this stuff together. Okay, we can talk about having knowledge. We can talk about the judgment that you use. We can talk about the actions that you've done. But wisdom is all of those things combined. Okay, it's where they all come together. Because wisdom is much more than just intelligence. Have you ever met some of those people that are just, they're really smart, but they're not, you definitely wouldn't call them wise. They've got a lot in their heads, but man, how does it ever function? How do they even function in the world, right? Their head's smart, but they don't have everything else put together. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're wise, okay? There's, there's a difference there. And, and when we think about information or having knowledge, we live in a time period like none other in the history of the world. We have more access to knowledge than any other prior generation I mean I remember when I was a little kid and this shows you how old I am when we used to have to do uh, reports in school in an elementary school when they're teaching you how to write reports and things like that we would have to go to the library the library is a building that has books in it (laughs) or at at our schools we used to have libraries where all the books were and you go into the library and you go look for the encyclopedia, a big row full of these books and you'd find your subject. And then you'd go to the card catalog, which were cards in these little boxes, these drawers that you'd pull out and you'd, you'd find, okay, well, this is my topic, you know, lizards. And I'm going to find every book that the library has on lizards. And you go through and pull off the shelves, of these books, and you pull them all together and you open these things up and you dig for it. 
all right? And after hours of studying and learning all that, you would get, you know, a paragraph of information that you can get in about five seconds right off your phone, right now in your pocket, right? Those, those days are long gone. Not being able to have information about anything at any point all the time, that access, we have, we have access to that that we've never had before. But knowledge alone, I told you, doesn't equal wisdom. Just because you have access to that doesn't mean that there's wisdom there. I mean, we, we, we call these devices that we have smartphones, but we don't call them wise phones. Okay, because the information you get on that phone may or may not be true. It may or may not be able to help you shape judgment and, and create a good action. All it does is gives you a bit of information. Having information doesn't guarantee that we can judge between what's right and wrong. And by the way, side note, there is right and wrong. No matter what the world around you might tell you. But what's worse is not just that, that we can have this information that is just information. What's worse is that we can actually acquire faulty wisdom or fallen wisdom that causes our actions to go down a path we didn't want them to go. And it can lead us to places that we thought we were being wise, but in fact, we'd been misled. All right? And, and, in, and in James, back actually in chapter one, we learned that, that God um, will give wisdom to the people that ask for it. And that's what James says in, in James chapter one, verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. What James is telling us and what we're gonna see here today is that wisdom is important. We need wisdom. We need more than just knowledge. We need to be able to make good judgments and our actions need to flow from that wisdom. But it's a specific kind of wisdom that we're gonna look at here. And that first step though, step one is to ask for wisdom as he said there in James one. But here in step two, he says, we've got to look at the wisdom that we have and learn to discern between the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. All right, let's read it together here. James chapter three, we're starting in verse 13 and we're gonna to go to the end of the chapter, verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now here's the thing about wisdom. Almost everybody thinks they're wise, okay? Almost everybody in their own eyes, um, they, they view themselves as somebody who's wise, even if they're 
humble enough not to admit it. Okay, usually we think our judgment is generally the best judgment. That's how we are as humans. We're like, no, I see it a little differently and I probably have the the right thing to do. And I I understand the wisdom. We're all wise in our own eyes. Um, You know, and I'm not trying to pick on any of you who are sophomores in high school um, or college, but the word sophomore is, 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 talks about this. A, a sophomore is somebody usually in their second year of school, right? And the first year, they're like wide-eyed. They don't know what's going on. They, they get to campus, new school or whatever, and they're learning the ropes. But by the time they come around for their second year, their sophomore year, they're like, yeah, I've got this. I know this. I've been here before. I understand this. The word sophomore literally means wise fool. <laughs> They've got just enough wisdom to kind of be a little bit smart but at the same time there's a lot of foolishness still involved that's us really that's people most of the time we got to call all of us sophomores because we do have some wisdom in certain areas but there's also blind spots in areas that we're, we're foolish it's just the way it is and even though at some point in our lives we all think yeah I've got some wisdom eventually as time goes on as life goes on some of that confidence wears off Albert Einstein said, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. That's what we find in life. Certain things that when I was 30, I was like, I got this. I understand how this works in the world. And by 32, I was already like, eh, maybe not. That's the way it goes. When also back to school, I'm spending a lot of time in elementary school um, thinking about this today. Um, I remember we, we did this thing and, and, and I remember this being one of the cool science experiments that we do in class. And it, it was called the litmus test. And we talk about that and that's kind of in normal conversations, but a lot of people, what I've found is they don't even know what a litmus test is. They understand the idea in talking to somebody, but a litmus test well, is, is something where you take a solution of something, some liquid, and you take this little piece of paper and, and it's a piece of litmus paper and you dip it in the solution. And if it's an acid, for instance, I think this is right, science teachers, you can help me, but you dip the, the blue litmus paper into an acid and the bottom half of the paper turns pink. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, well, this is cool. This isn't one of those science experiments where you have to wait around for all the time. You just dip it in and it changes color. If it changes color, you know what you have. If it's a base, then it doesn't change. But that, that was a litmus test. What James gives us here today, this is what I'm trying to get at, is James wants to tell you, listen, you can discern between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. You don't have to go through life wondering, well, is it really wisdom from God or is it really wisdom from earth? Is this the right thing to do or is this the wrong thing to do? I'm not really sure. What James says is no. There there are things that you can do to check your wisdom, to test your wisdom. You can know where your wisdom is coming from. He gives us a way to determine the source of the wisdom that we gather. And like I said, the reason we have to have this is because sometimes we think we're being wise when we're actually being foolish. Proverbs says that in Proverbs 14, 12, it says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We think, oh, I'm, I'm right on track. This is what I need to do. This is the right decision. But what you find out later is, oh man, I really, I blew it. And that's what James says, look, you don't need to be that way. We don't want it to be that way. 
Now, foolish wisdom is really not wisdom at all. But to teach this, James separates that into those two categories, above and below. And we're going to start here by looking at the wisdom from below. What does wisdom from below actually look at, look like? Let's, let's look again at verses 14 and 16, 14 through 16. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom It comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. See, here's what we have to recognize. We use our wisdom to make the decisions of our lives. And even though we think that we're very rational and thought-based humans, when it comes to our choices... In truth, humans are people that are led by their desires. You might think, oh, no, no, I'm very rational. I really think through it. Listen, guys, all of us are led by our desires. Our choices are a mix of feeling and thought. Our wants and passions drive us more than our thoughts and calculations, and they deeply affect our judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that that's all bad. God has given us desires. God has made us people that are passionate people. But we have to be able to sort through those things. And as Christians, we have to learn to constantly pay attention to our desires and let God re-aim them in ways that glorify him and lead us to life. And here's two of them that, that James pulls out. And he says, listen, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are not desires from God. Jealousy, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are not desires from God. And they will not result in wisdom that comes from above. They can't. They just won't do it. And they are indicators that the wisdom we're operating with is from below. And when I say below, I don't necessarily mean hell. I'm not saying like there's the wisdom of heaven and the wisdom of hell. That's the only difference. No, there's the wisdom of heaven and then everything's below that. That includes earth. So some of those things are just the wisdom of earth. It's just good old earthly wisdom. Now in a fallen world, you push that a little farther and say, well, yeah, but the earth is influenced by Satan. Okay, yeah, it probably includes that stuff too. All right, but it's all that wisdom that is not from above. And and if you're making what you believe is a wise decision, but it's motivated by bitterness or by jealousy or by selfish ambition, self-centeredness, it's not the wisdom of heaven. At best, it's the wisdom of earth. At the worst, it's the wisdom of hell. This is what I mean. How do you practically think about this? What's, What's this like? All right, for example, let's say that you and a coworker are both up for the same promotion. All right, there's one job for the two of you and there's a competition kind of between the two of you to say, hey, who's gonna get this promotion? And the opportunity arises for you to kind of show your boss that this person is, they've blown it in some way. Now, you, 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 know, you might ask your friends at work or whatever and say, hey, you know, what, do you, what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. You needed something to separate the two of you. You know, and if you just show the boss this or tell the boss that they did that, 
That's going to put them in the, the, a bad light. You're guaranteed for the promotion. This is all good. This is, God, this, is, this is wise. This is how we function. This is the way it's supposed to be. Well, do you take that opportunity? Is that really wisdom? Is that what to give your advantage, to get your advantage? Is that what you're supposed to do? What we see here is the Bible saying, no, because you're hurting that person just to benefit yourself. All right, and I know that this is nuanced and there may be different things. Oh, well, that person may be put somebody else in danger and it wasn't just for you. There's, there's lots of other things that can happen here. But you have to understand that there's gonna be some things that you've gotta, you've gotta sort through and figure that out. A lot of people would say, well, that's just business. You know, you gotta step on some people to step a little higher. You're gonna climb that ladder. There's gonna be some people that you're gonna step on on the way. That's just wisdom. It's just wise. No, it's actually the wisdom of the world. And James says that if you think it's not, you're lying to yourself. That's what he says. Uh, here's another example from scripture where the wisdom of the world was actually not the wisdom from above. In the, the Old Testament, we have stories of King David and King Saul. And before David was even the king, the first king of Israel was King Saul. And back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we have a really interesting experience um, that's, that's recorded there for us. David was, well, well Saul, let's talk about Saul first, the, the first king. Saul had made some mistakes. It wasn't leading properly. And God ultimately said to Saul, hey, I'm gonna remove you from being the king. God had said when the people wanted a king, they're like, all right, I'm gonna give you a king. I'm gonna give you the kind of king you want. It's gonna be King Saul. Saul blew it. God says, you're no longer gonna be king. And I'm, in place of you, I'm going to put David as the king. He is going to take over. He's gonna be on the throne. And so Saul in his own wisdom is like, well, what if David's not around? What if I just take David out? What if I kill him? If I kill David, then I'll be able to keep my throne and everything's gonna work out well for me. So that's what we see happen, happens for many years, actually. Saul is taking the soldiers and they're tracking around trying to find David to kill him. And David has a group of men and they kind of, they're, they're fugitives and they wander through the wilderness and they're hiding in places and, and they're trying to always escape Saul. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, a, a kind of funny thing happens. Saul is out there with his men looking for David. They're wandering through the wilderness and they've been out for a while and Saul has to go to the bathroom. And so what he does is he says to his soldiers, hey, you guys stay here. I see a cave. I need to go do some business. And he walks up by himself into this cave. He goes into the cave, proceeds to do what he needs to do. But little does he know in the very same cave, in the back of that cave is David and all of his men. The person he's been trying to come and hunt. And so David's standing way back in the shadows thinking, oh my gosh, look what's happening right now. Saul comes in and one of David's men whispers in his ear, hey, this is from God. God told you this is the way it's supposed to be, right? It says in 1 Samuel 24, 4, it says, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Right? That seems like pretty good wisdom. That soldier's like, are you kidding? We don't even have to fight anybody. Nobody else has to get hurt. Grab your sword, walk over there and take care of this guy. He's, he's a little 
indisposed right now. This is perfect. And here's what David does. He takes his sword and he heads over to Saul and he gets up to Saul. But instead of killing him, he just cuts off a little corner of his robe. Saul finishes his business. He goes out. Eventually, David is already kind of feeling like I shouldn't have even done that. And he goes out to Saul and says, Saul, look, I got the corner of your robe. I could have taken a lot more than the corner of your robe. I didn't. And Saul breaks down. He's like, oh, you know, you're a better man than I. I, I'm going to leave you alone. He doesn't. Later, this happens again. But the point is this. In the wisdom of earth, the wisdom from below said very clearly, kill the guy. God has done this for you. Take care of it. Take it into your own hands. But David knew God said God was going to take care of him. And if David was motivated by his own selfish ambition, like James talks about, I'm going to put myself on the throne. It wasn't the wisdom from above. It was the wisdom from below. What we didn't understand was that God was actually giving Saul an opportunity to repent. God was also taking the time to develop David and his character and his men. And it wasn't in the time frame of God yet for him to be put on the throne. And this wasn't an opportunity from God but it seemed like it was, but it was actually wisdom from below. So, and then James tells us some of the practices and attitudes that follow this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that drives our wisdom. Look at, let's look at the outcomes of this. What happens if you're being led by bitter jealousy to make your decisions or by selfish ambition? That's where we start seeing these other outcomes that come from that. Fear, taking offense at things, hatred, covetousness, lust, gospel, gossip. Are these the things that come from above? No, they're earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's how he describes it. He says, when you think about the outcomes, when you make that wise decision that's really just because you're bitter or that you just want your way, all these other things come along with it. Every vile thing, he says, is going to accompany that kind of wisdom. I, I've been reading this, I, reading this book that I just recently finished. Um, it's called Live No Lies. And it's by this author, John Mark Comer. And if you've been around here long, you know that I like this particular author. And um, it, it's an interesting book because what he says is there's, there's three things, three enemies that sabotage our peace as Christians. And he goes all the way back to the 1500s and, and pulls out some, uh, a, a writing originally from Thomas Aquinas that, that talks about these three things, 1200s actually, Aquinas, um, that, that steal our peace. And he says, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then these three categories of things are constantly hitting us. And we're constantly dealing with those things as they war against our souls, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The lies that the devil tells us are actually true. The world that then validates that false wisdom and then our own disordered desires, our flesh that lean in that direction. And when all those things are pulling at us all the time, it's really hard for us to see the wisdom from above. Because when we have all those things that we're dealing with every single day, we're, we're flooded with the influences of those things. 
And we're constantly being pulled like that's got to be the right way. That's got to be the right thing. I need to just go that, that route. But it's not true. It's not the wisdom from above. It's the wisdom from earth. What's that look like? Well, it, it, it can take all sorts of forms and shapes. It's the lie that some people believe, hey, I'm never going to be worth anything. It's better that I just take my own life. It's the lie that says, you know what? Your marriage is a wreck. You're not going to be able to hold it together anyway. It's just better if you just go on and walk out. It's, it's these sorts of thoughts that say, you know what? That's just a little indiscretion. Nobody's ever going to find out. This is all those things that come at us all the time that we're like, yeah, that kind of seems like the, that's got to be wisdom. That's got to be the right path. But it's not. They seem like wisdom, but they're not. And here's the other side of the litmus test, right? He says, look, if it's bitterness, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, if it's full of all that junk that doesn't belong, then let's now look at the other side of it, the wisdom from above, and let's try to figure out, well, then what is wisdom from above? And that's where we we look at verse 17. Read that again with me. He says this, James 3, 17, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You've got to ask yourself, hey, what, what are the motivations, the motivators and the outcomes of the wisdom that I'm carrying? When I make decisions, am I seeing the, the, the outflow of that to be pure and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? It's a completely different list from the other list that we looked at. And Jesus told the story of, of the Good Samaritan uh, in Luke chapter 10. It may be a story that you know pretty well. And the way that that, that story goes is he tells this, this story of, of three men. Three men that are on their way to a town. And, and the first one that comes up is a priest. All right, someone who knows the Lord and serves God. And he comes along um, and he finds there a man, a traveler who's been beaten up and robbed by his thieves in the area. And they beat him up and they leave him for dead on the side of the road. And the priest that comes up to the, the first one who comes up, the priest, he's like, you know what? This place is dangerous. I knew that this road was dangerous. This is not good. I gotta get out of here. I look at this guy. This is bad. I just got, I need to move on. I gotta get there quickly. And he leaves the guy. The second person that comes up, Jesus tells us, is he says this Levite that comes along. A Levite was a, the person from the, the tribe that God specifically said, hey, they're gonna be the ones that serve me. And this Levite comes along and he sees the guy on the side of the road. And he's like, I don't have time for this. I got things to do. I got places to be. I've got to go. And so he leaves this man. And the third man that comes up is a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was somebody that the Jews looked down on because of their ethnicity. And, and the Samaritan sees this Jew who would be looking down on him if he was awake, but he has compassion on the man. And so he stops what he's doing. He gets off of his donkey and he loads the man up there and binds his wounds. He carries him into town, still unconscious. He pays for him to stay at, a, at an inn and pays for medical care to take care of him. And gives him even money for the the innkeeper, money for the advance. You know, hey, and if you spend any more, I'll come back and and settle the bill. He cares for this man. And Jesus says to the people that he's talking to about this, he says, which of these three do you think 
proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the, rise, the, the robbers. Who made the right decision here? Who was wise? Who did the right thing? And the one that was listening said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Over and over, Jesus said, you choose that path. The path that is the wisdom from above, the one that is full of mercy. Now, did, would have other people walked by, the priest and the Levite, they used their wisdom, but it was the, the wisdom from the earth. It was selfish ambition. It's like, I'm gonna save myself. I don't have time for this guy. But the Samaritan used the wisdom from above. It was dangerous, yes, but it was merciful. And what attitudes follow that kind of wisdom? Follow those traits from above. Graciousness, generosity, kindness, peace, love. What we find is that the wisdom from God is consistent with the nature of God. If you wanna know if you're making wise decisions in your life, look at those outcomes. When you say the things you say, when you do the things that you do, are they things that are resulting in mercy and love and peace and goodness? Or are the outcomes of those decisions actually more like, wow, I'm putting my spouse in tears. I'm creating a rift at work. I'm hurting this person or that person, or I'm just feeding my greed or my lust. What's the outcome? What's the difference? What's happening? We're called to be people of the wisdom from above. And the last verse that we see here as we finish up today in James 3, verse 18, he says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The result of walking in the wisdom from above the result of living your life in a way that, that has all these other outcomes, these outcomes of goodness, the result is a harvest of righteousness. Because we're becoming then, when we walk in that kind of wisdom, we become people that are more and more like Jesus when we follow the wisdom from above. And that wisdom is what's changing the world. I don't know, how you feel right now about the world around you, about our country in general, I think things are a mess. <laughs> and it, that's not a political statement. Purely from a spiritual standpoint and a, a morale standpoint, things are a mess. But, but there's a harvest of righteousness for those that are making peace. And that wisdom from above will change the world. We are to be people that are sowing peace. He says here, planting it. We're peace farmers, <laughs> okay? And it's not just peace with the world, but it's peace being planted in the soil of a world full of disorder and vile practices, as he describes there. And so even in the middle of fallenness, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of political upheaval and, and all those issues going on, in the middle of all that comes the life of heaven because we're people of peace, planting peace in the world around us. And, and sadly, a lot of Christians right now are caught up in the wisdom of the world and the things that are coming out of 
the mouths of Christians are equal to the the things that are coming out of the mouths of non-Christians because they're operating from the same level of wisdom and they shouldn't be and we shouldn't be. This is why Jesus said the church would be a beacon of light in the world. We're to be a city set on a hill, right? We are light in the dark places. Our wisdom comes from a different place than everybody else's wisdom. And the results of that wisdom should look very different than it looks from everybody else. We're to be people that live life according to a different set of instructions. And the wisdom from above is always going to be countercultural. The wisdom of the world leads to a dead end. That's what John said in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And that includes the wisdom of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here's the final question. Where is your wisdom from? And how are you making the choices that you make in your life every single day? Is it from above or is it from below? And as you make decisions today and this week and this month and this year, test your wisdom and choose what comes from above. And may God use us as people that bring his peace to the world around us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people that can clearly discern the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And I know that this is hard to do for us because we're, we're people of habit. And sadly, for many of us, myself included, there's areas of my life where I have continually made decisions based on the wisdom of the world, not on the wisdom from heaven. And I've had to suffer the consequences of that. And other people have had to suffer the consequences of that. But Lord, we want to be people that can discern between the two. And we want to be people that make wise decisions. That are choosing the way of heaven instead of the way of earth or the way of hell. And Lord, we need you to remove the veil that covers our eyes in that. And God, we are thankful today that your word has shown us one of the ways that we can sort that out. Lord, I know that bitterness, your word tells us that bitterness is a root that gets established in our hearts and that bitterness can poison us in all sorts of ways. And Lord, I pray that if any of my brothers or sisters here today are, are, have a root of bitterness or jealousy in their hearts, Lord, that you'd show them that bitterness in their hearts today and you would remove that from them. And selfish ambition is no different. We all have certain levels of ambition and some of those ambitions are not selfish ambitions, but ambitions that are given from you. But God, help us sort out the difference between those two. Because so often we find ourselves just being self-centered and making all of our decisions based on what is good for me 
And you call us to look above ourselves and beyond ourselves to others, that we would be people full of the grace and the mercy and the love that's to pour out on others. So Lord, we pray that you would make us those people, people of peace, people of hope, people of grace and mercy. And so God, what I'm praying for today, and I, I, I ask that you would stir my brothers and sisters to pray the same thing with me. I'm asking Lord that you help us change that you would show us what is right and that you would give us the strength and the courage and the obedience to do what is right. It's not enough to just know what's right or wrong. We have to then couple that with our judgment and actually act on it. And so for those people that are here today with me, people of faith, I pray that their works would follow their faith. And if there are any here today that are not people of faith, that do not know you, maybe this is the first time they've realized there's there's a difference of wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would show them their need for you here today and that you would come alongside of them, convict them of their sin and offer them freedom from that and offer them the salvation that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. Make us those people, Lord, that reflect you in everything that we say, everything that we do, and everything that we are. Give us that ability, Lord, and transform us by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.